Hello and welcome to this Al Wada Status Hour podcast. This program is entitled Dispatches from Medina Postcolonial, a final conversation with Rashid Taha. My name is Omar Shanti and I'll be your host for the next hour as we look back on the raucous, rebellious and symbolically rich life of the late Rashid Taha. On this first year anniversary of his death, we'll be remembering his 40-year career and revisiting his repertoire to explore his messages as an artist, a thinker and an activist across time. We'll be situating this analysis primarily within a post-colonial framework and reading his works for themes including citizenship and identity, language and genre, and assertion and assimilation as they confront the subaltern immigrant. To do so, we'll listen to excerpts of songs and discuss album artwork, situating both against their cultural and political backdrops. We'll also listen to an ever-before-published interview with Rashid, which was conducted in May 2018, only four months before his untimely death. The interview provides vivid recollections on past works, gripping insights for the present, and a deeply hopeful vision for the future. By combining these various sources, we hope to paint a more detailed image of the defiantly and triumphantly post-colonial legacy that Rashid leaves behind. We also hope to celebrate the life of an artist taken far too soon. To this end, the program will rely on Rashid's own songs and words to the extent possible, and will progress chronologically. To bridge the gaps between different moments and sources, I'll offer background details as well as my own commentary and analysis. And so, we proceed. The story begins in Sikh, Algeria, where in 1958 Rashid was born. He'd moved to France at 10 years old with his parents, settling in Alsace in the north before moving in 1977 to a suburb of Lyon at 19. There he quickly became immersed in the local Maghribi cultural center, as well as other sites of gathering for immigrants of different nationalities. In this setting, Rashid was able to explore his Maghribi heritage and learn of other cultures he hadn't been exposed to previously. Times were hard growing up for Rashid. His father worked as a laborer in a textile factory to support their family, but the meager income and the exhausting work barely amounted to sustenance. According to Rashid, his father was, quote, a modern slave. By 19, Rashid had followed his father's footsteps and began working a manual job at a heating plant too. The family's conditions worsened with the rise of Raymond Barr and the economic crises of the mid-1970s. Migrant families descended further into social and economic precarity. Deportations increased while living conditions declined. In Lyon, Rashid and his peers witnessed this directly. It was during this time that Rashid began working as a DJ in a nightclub after his shifts. This provided Rashid a language of self-expression. He began to combine music from different cultures and genres that were said shouldn't be played together. These eclectic, irreverent mixes were a form of rebellion, of creation, of self-assertion, and of celebration. It was only shortly after this when in 1979, at 21 years old, Rashid and friends from his banlieue started their first musical group, Carte de Séjour.
name literally translates to residency permit, was formed with one clear vision to boldly and unapologetically channel the identities of Maghribi immigrants in France. This meant resisting the urges to self-essentialize as either French or Maghribi and instead playing the fertile space in between. In so doing, the group confronted all who posited French and Maghribi identities as oppositional. Their songs directly spoke of the Maghribi French experience in between these two camps, ranging from the hyper-specific details of everyday life to the grand themes of multidimensional violence. True to the immigrants' experience, the group positioned itself also between genres and languages, amassing a dizzying array of musical expression and very unique content to express. They borrowed from genres as diverse as punk, ganawa, new wave, and reggae, and they sang in a vernacular which they referred to as the language of the Rogoz, a mix of Wahrani Arabic, French, and Lyonnais slang. The first song we'll look at is entitled Bleu de Marseille. It depicts the romanticized idea of France among non-migrant Maghribi youth. Notice the look and feel of this song, the excitement and the wonder. This will set the stage for the harsh reality migration actually presents, which we'll see shortly. The chorus yells, Oh brother, you're so dear to me. Don't forget to bring me some of the soap and the perfume. The joyful, frenzied lyrics delivered on this upbeat, quick-tempoed track provide a good depiction of what Fanon may have called, quote, the spell from afar, the enchantment and the allure of the metropole, the there across the sea, drawing you closer, yet always keeping you at a distance. This would be a persistent theme through all of the discography that follows this point. In the three verses, presumably three different individuals give a traveler advice for his time in France. The three each disagree and propose a new itinerary, including where to go, who to see, what to eat, and so on. Yet for all their differences, the three share the same request, soap and perfume. On one level, it's a humorous and light-hearted request. The band is poking fun at the excitement of Maghribi residents over French products. But even here, the request reflects the inheritance and internalization of a Eurocentric symbolic order one where the smells and rituals of beauty are prioritized on the basis solely of being French. Likewise, in the hyper-urgent ways that the migrant friends give him advice, we can discern an urge to prove one's relationship to France, so to an extent, self-worth on the level of the individual is shown also to be tied to one's proximity to France. Even from this light song, then, we can see economic, social, and psychological aspects to this migration. The group would explore all of these themes and more in their future discography, elaborating on the violence that occurs on each of these dimensions. We'll briefly survey two songs, La Moda and Wa'adu. In the case of the 1982 song La Moda, this violence revolves around one's relationship to one's body. The song is a somber first-person narration of a young Maghribi immigrant. He has worked hard all week to afford the latest French fashion so that he may feel confident enough to go to a club. He's blow-dried and brushed his hair, put on his finest suit, but he's denied entry. The bouncer shuts the door in his face. 
He's devastated. His mind races. But I'm in the latest fashion, he thinks, only to realize he's forgotten to dye his hair. La Moda offers an intimate account of the personal struggle for self-love as an immigrant when one's exclusion is tied to the very markers of their immigrancy. It reveals the pressures towards assimilation through self-mutilation, an aesthetic demagribization. As we'll discuss shortly, Rashid would explore this theme later on in his solo career, particularly with the album cover of Ole Ole as the most poignant example. The next song, Wadu, cries out against the socio-economic and spatial violence awaiting the immigrant, and specifically how it contrasts with the promises that the migrant is told. It speaks about the precarious labor conditions and poor housing arrangements that wear down and break the individual. The verse performatively extols a France which educates, feeds, and heals. A refrain wails repeatedly, Wadu, Wadu, Jannah, they promised him heaven. But what awaited him wasn't heaven. The chorus chants, In France we threw him down a hole. He was a man. We turned him into a rat. He gave up his resistance. He buried his youth. With songs like these, it was no surprise that Carte de Séjour was on the front line of many protests and marches. And yet the group had an ambivalent relationship with the established anti-racist protest movement. They sensed an essentialization among the different and predominantly white-led anti-racist organizations that led the movement and strove to impose a singular image and narrative upon the immigrant, one that was palatable, docile, and consumable for the French public. An image of victimhood, of exclusion, and of a dream held for assimilation. The group wouldn't subscribe to that. While some of their songs like Ramza, Désolé, and Nar reveal the victimhood of this entity, others like Zubida, Halouf Nar, and Gogomani would not. Whereas the first three revolve around police brutality and institutional racism and housing, the latter three revolve around gender-based violence in the Arab world, the Banlu as a site of resistance, and their own crafted Franco-Maghribi identities. Their boldness of expression, coupled with their excessively guttural and deliberately overemphasized Arabic, brought forth what Barbara Lebrun called a discomforting Arabness, 
rooted in the gendered connotation of the male Maghribi immigrant as a dangerous, violent entity. Further, according to Lebrun, this, quote, complex depiction of the Arab clashed with the straightforward victimizing discourse of the 1980s anti-racist movement, end quote. The elaboration of the Franco-Maghribi consciousness was considered a challenge to the Republican assimilationist doctrine and therefore threatening. Nonetheless, the group was present at various important junctures through the 80s. On the 31st of October in 1980, they performed at a concert organized in opposition to the Baghdad administration's proposed amendments to the security and liberty laws. These amendments would have extended the power of the police and more severely punished violent and repeat offenders, three measures which would have all disproportionately affected subaltern immigrants. On the 3rd of December 1983, the group played at the final concert of the March of the Bourgs for a crowd of over 100,000 in Paris. The marches had begun in October that year following months of protests and strings of racist violence against Maghribis. Throughout 1984, the group performed at multiple rallies against the National Front which were gaining power. But their most infamous moment would come on June 15, 1985, at the Place de la Concorde in Paris, at a concert marking the launch of SOS Racism. The group would play Douce France, a song that was written under occupation in the 1940s, a loving and patriotic ode to France. For a group of Maghrebi immigrants to excavate it in this context was itself a provocative gesture. Here's an audio clip of Rashid introducing the song at the march. His words in and of themselves capture much of what we've discussed so far. Let's listen. We're going to play a damn French song. It's a song by Charles Trenet that's called Douce France. Do you know Douce France? Do you know it or no? Don't you like it? I can see some of you shaking your heads. This touches your heritage. But well, it's our heritage too, isn't it? If you're here, then I bet you agree with us. Can we sing Charles Fennig? There's some Arabs saying no. I know that even among the Arabs there are some racists. The whole world is racist. But hey, no one is perfect. Notice the anti-essentialism and the self-criticism embedded within that excerpt. Even on so large of a venue, Rashid wouldn't play the role of the helpless victim or promote this fetishized image of the Arab. Rather, he called out the French racists as well as the Arab ones, combating racism in both communities he identifies with in the same single breath. As per the song itself, the soft and slow melody of the original was replaced with an irreverent and ironic punk groove. Its contents were shuffled around and the Maghribi stamp was sealed with an introduction of the core instruments, the oud, the mandolin and the darbuk. Considering the racialized connotation of the original song, which sings of the tender carelessness of a Frenchman's childhood in colonial France, while the colonized subjects were in that time and in Rashid's time made to suffer, 
This is indeed a triumphant post-colonial appropriation, a Franco-Maghrebization. As Rashid wrote, quote, we vomited over it. A full year would pass before this track was finally published in November 1986. A lot had happened during that period and the group released it at an opportune moment as a targeted political message. In March that year, the socialist president François Mitterrand invited Jacques Chirac and his RPR-UDF right-wing coalition to form the first cohabitation government of the Fifth Republic. Mitterrand focused more on international affairs while Chirac, notorious for having complained of the noise and the smell of migrants, had internal control to pursue his anti-immigrant policies domestically. A first significant victory came for Chirac with the passing of the first of the Pasqua laws on the 9th of September 1986. The law provided for the ability to expel foreigners under loosely defined and irregular circumstances. The expulsions would no longer be a matter for the courts, but rather a purely administrative decision authorized by the prefect. Moreover, it made immigration and obtaining a 10-year residency permit much more difficult. It also hammered down on the legal immigrants by proliferating identity checks and racialized policing. A following measure came on the 12th of November when the Minister of Justice, Albin Chandelon, introduced a bill proposing reforms to the Nationality Code. It sought to challenge the existing system of jus soli, or birthright citizenship, under which any child born in France is considered French. The proposal sought instead to put more steps in front of the achievement of citizenship, setting a precedent for obstructionism. It was amid this lively debate on the nationality code that Rashid and Côte de Sejour finally decided to release Douce France in November 1986. They had asked Jack Lang, the Minister of Culture, to distribute copies of the record in the National Assembly as a form of protest. Lang did so, accompanied not by Rashid, but by Charles Trenet. This image of reconciliation was carried onwards and the song was co-opted by the socialists as a symbol of republican assimilation and as an anti-FN anthem. While this brought the band some success and notoriety, including the 1987 award for best French rock group, it also masked the complex Franco-Maghribi identity that the band had cultivated and played into the depiction of a victimized immigrant that they had sought to avoid. I asked Rashid to reflect on the song and the experience that followed it. When I did Douce France, it was a way to address the National Front's political vision. At the time in France, those who were born there were considered French. And the National Front wanted to change that to Jus Sanguini. So it was my way of correcting that. I asked Jacques Lang to distribute the record so that I could put the fascists and the fundamentalists back to back. It's a bit like Emile Zola saying Jacques. It's a way of saying stop saying bullshit, but also at the same time to say be careful because what you're going to do will destroy France. 
and our children will suffer for it. Obviously, they cancelled the project, and all the children who were born after that were unaffected. They can thank Uncle Rashid for being French, because otherwise they were going the German way. Be careful. France is a Republican mix. It's the people who are born on the land that are citizens. In addition to their activism for political change within France and their exploration of the violence of the immigrant experience, the group has also agitated for various causes within Maghrebi communities, including against gender-based violence, homophobia, and racism. When the group were expected to present a simple narrative of a singular, victimized Maghrebi, they chose to address the multifaceted and crippling violence inherent within that community. In a way, this two-pronged attack reflected the group's hyphenated identity and their commitment to advancing both camps. The group's 1982 song Zubida, which was in fact the first record the group ever released, is perhaps the most poignant instance of this Maghrebi activism. The song tells the dark story of a young Maghrebi girl thrust from a happy, hopeful existence into a deep, isolating depression when her father marries her off suddenly against her will. With no one to help her, no one to comfort her, she takes her life. The song would be taken up again over 30 years later by Rashid in his 2013 solo album entitled Zoom. Only this time the title would be different. It was no longer Zubida but Jamila. The words are the same but for an added introduction. This story is as old as the hills, but this story has just happened again today. The feel too is drastically different. The wailing punk groove is replaced with a forlorn, atmospheric, even acidic ambience. The song seems to be performed in an echo chamber. Words and instruments reverberate and repeat over and over. It's panic-inducing and suspenseful, chaotic, like a world moving a mile a minute. Rashid why he felt the urge to release Zubida in 1982 at a time when the pressures were so high not to and why he chose to revisit it in this particular way in 2013. Here's his response. If I recount the story of Zubida and then rename her as Jamila 
and rename her again and tell the story, it's because nothing has changed. And I think that in our countries, in the Muslim or the Arab world, as long as we do not respect women, and as long as she's not part of what makes us us, we will never get that. It's like walking with crutches. It's like limping. Arab countries and all countries that do not respect women's situations and rights are behind. They're in the shit. And I realize every day that the woman is, as Aragon would say, quote, the future of the man. Women are hyper-important. That's why I come back every time to tell the story, because nothing has changed. The last woman we respected was Um Kalthoum. But what was Um Kalthoum? She was a woman who sang for power, but to what end? See, nothing has changed still. Women simply aren't free. They're not solely made for cooking. They nourish us on the inside and the outside. I think that's why I keep repeating myself. In my next album, there will be another Zubida, because it still exists. There are still women who are married by force, who are burned alive as we see in Pakistan. We burn them. There are even men who still marry several women. It's slavery. As John Lennon would say, women are still the immigrants from within, and I don't want them to be immigrants any longer. Indeed, gender-based violence persists and transcends borders. And yet, Rashid directs us inwards to reflect on the Arab and Muslim worlds, an occasion will not pass up here. In the days just prior to the recording of this podcast, social media was alight with horror and disgust at the honor killing of the Palestinian Isra Gharayyab. People expressed their outrage online with the hashtags Kulna Isra Gharayyab and hashtag We Are All Isra. But as Rashid tells us, we will never know all of the names of those who suffer it. Rashid's final articulation of woman as immigrant is particularly significant. In this simple statement, Rashid situates the permanent social inferiority of women inside the long cultural tradition of the misery and wretchedness that come with migration. It extends the dynamic of the immigrant beyond just the physical realm where it's normally conceived and into the dimension of gender. In a world dominated by men, the woman is always destined to be the visitor. Yet unlike the migrant who moves physically, there is no territory she can return to. She is an immigrant without an emigration, destined to live suspended in a never-ended migration. This diagnosis is especially poignant coming from Taha, who identifies himself as a permanent immigrant. The group Carte de Séjour would split up in 1990, citing different visions for their future and of their identity. Rashid would relocate to Paris where he'd kickstart an astoundingly successful solo career. His project continued much of what we've discussed thus far with Carte de Séjour. 
he continued to express the complexities of the subaltern post-colonial experience which was suspended in between nationalities and identities with musical expressions that were themselves caught between languages and genres. The patterns of these expressions would change, however. They would transition away from punk and further into the worlds of dance, electronic and hip-hop while still maintaining the core Maghrebi instruments. To some extent, Rashid would also exhibit a change in content, shifting from the local to the global, removing hyper-specificity that was so captivating in songs from Kak de Sejour and generalizing to speak to larger, varying audiences. The work that followed was significant for many reasons. Firstly, it mobilized music as well as album covers, stage theatrics and aesthetics for socio-political and cultural activism. Secondly, by way of performing covers of older songs, it bridged past with present to connect immigrant youth, whether Maghrebi, Arab or African, with their cultural heritage, hitherto categorically excluded in the metropole. The wonderful repository produced contained celebrations of culture and acute political messaging, revealing how though times have changed and the shroud of colonialism had fallen, important commonalities persisted. And lastly, it provided important insights into the multidimensional nature of an immigrant's estrangement. Each of these three themes can be found in abundance in Rashid's first solo album entitled Barbes. The album is dedicated to a Parisian neighborhood of the same name that was then known and feared for its substantial immigrant population. In the racist climate at the turn of the decade, Barbès was painted as a hub of the unassimilated and a clear signal of the failure of France's policy of immigration. As such, when Rashid decided to dedicate his debut solo album to be a celebration of Barbès, he was not merely making a political commentary, but directly positioning himself in solidarity with the immigrant community. Let's hear the title track. In true ironic fashion, Rashid responds to the racialized fear against the immigrant with his own performative, over-elaborated immigrancy. Growling in a lewd Arabic, Rashid reassures the audience that there are never any problems in Barbes. He snarls as he promises that everyone is polite in Barbes. He yells with a mob as he invites you to visit him in Barbes before breaking out in an excited celebration of its movement and its color. In this brief song, Taha reclaims Barbes and everything that comprises it for its residents by celebrating exactly what Barbes is criticized for. The street sounds, the commotion, the yelling, the cheering, even the police sirens. They're all incorporated into this festive ode to the quotidian life of the city. The result is just as heartfelt and politically motivated as Trenet's Douce France. The other songs on the album would see Rashid experiment with a new musical style, a progressive ambiental trance laced with rock, hip-hop and a strong Sha'abi core. The song Leila though is an exception. It's a reworking of a traditional Algerian malhoun sung as a duet with Shabba Nouriya. 
Here, Rashid's bold act was not to blur genres as normal, but rather to commit to one and to deliver the undiluted message of the song as a salute to his musical predecessors. It's a way for Rashid to connect with his Maghribi heritage and pay homage to the greats that have come before. Moreover, it was a signal from the outset of his career that this nascent solo artist would continue to blur the lines of here and there, past and present, bringing the Maghrib into France and France into the Maghrib. All of these themes would be further developed in Rashid Taha's following 1993 self-titled album. Reunited with Steve Hillage, who was himself a former psychedelic guitarist and the producer of a carte de séjour record, Taha would better articulate the projects and possibilities that he had conceived of for this new genre. The two would remain together for the next 15 years and achieve great success. Besides further refining this nascent genre, the album gave a more direct and sustained meditation on life as an immigrant, best captured in the songs Ya Rayah and Vola Vola, two of the pinnacles of Rashid's career. The song Ya Rayah is a cautionary and lamentful ode to immigration and exile. It was composed in 1973 by the great Shaabi artist Dahman al-Harashi in response to the massive flight of Maghribis to Europe of that time. Despite the circumstance, the song remains general and only addresses that which is universal and immutable in exile. It is a potent and timeless work that is as relevant now in 2019 as it was in the time of writing. The song is structured as a narration. The singer takes up the role of the knowing and sagacious former migrant. The listener is cast alternatingly between the roles of the departer, al-rayah, the traveler, al-msafir, and the foreigner, al-ghayib fi bilad nas These three roles capture the three steps of migration, of leaving, of arriving, and of remaining respectively. And as such, they provide a framework to discuss this phenomenon in its completeness. In what follows, Dahman empathizes with what makes one want to leave, but cautions against the arduous journey of arrival and the wretched, exhausting life that awaits. He invites the listener to reflect on all those who have failed before them, and on time which shouldn't be wasted wandering, as well as fate which one can never elude. In covering this song, Rashid voluntarily picked up the mantle of the sagacious elder, the weathered and learned migrant returning to his land and spreading the tales of his travels. But beyond just that, at a time when many Algerian musicians were exploring right to big commercial success, Rashid was championing Shabi music, with the goal to quote, innovate on the form, but to be faithful to its essence. Let's listen to the results. While the Arabic Ya Rayah addressed the Maghrib, 
Voilà Voilà was directed right at the heart of France. As with the song Douce France, Taha used music to amplify an urgent political message. France was descending rapidly into xenophobia. At that moment, France had just elected a right-wing government on the platform of Immigration Zero, which was a campaign to arrest racialized immigration practices. This coalition had won an astonishing 84% of the seats of the National Assembly, revealing quite how widespread and normalized this stance had become. All the while, the National Front continued to galvanize segments of the public with calls to expel Muslim immigrants. The song's hard-hitting political lyrics offer a diagnosis of a nation that chooses to forget its history and to project its problems onto its minorities. The verse tells us that you can hear it everywhere. They say, foreigners, you are the cause of our problems. Yet just like with Yaraya, the song avoids specificity and speaks instead to what is universal of xenophobia as it manifests around the world. For this reason, Taha would be able to release multiple versions of the track, including a Spanish version in 2003 and a new French version in 2013 featuring Femi Kuti, Eric Cantona and Mick Jones among an all-star cast. I asked Rashid to reflect on writing the track and whether he thought that the song would have the longevity and the impact that it's had. Let's listen to an excerpt of the track and then let's hear his response. It's sad to say, but Voila Voila has proven to be an eternal song. It's incredible. I actually wanted to make an Italian version when I saw what was happening in Italy, specifically with the rise of the racist populist parties. These days there's Nazis everywhere. There are Nazis in Israel, there's Nazis in Algeria, they are everywhere in the world. Racism, anti-Semitism, all of that must be intolerable. It's funny because who made the video clip for Voila Voila? Michel Gondry. It's incredible, right? And yet, when I made it, there used to be channels that never played it. And that version was great because it was produced by Brian Eno, with Steve Hillage, with Mick Jones. It was a political statement. So Voila Voila was a way to say, attention, it's starting again. It's about the Second World War. It's about the Holocaust. It's about everything. I want to say, excuse me, stop. Otherwise, we'll be in deep shit. When I thought we had destroyed the walls of Berlin, here we are, still building walls elsewhere. Nice 
1995, Saw Rashid released a new album entitled Ole Ole. While the songs weren't overtly political themselves, the album cover certainly was. It had an image of Rashid, head detached from body, hair bleached blonde, and irises colored soft blue. It was Rashid as an Aryan, a multi-dimensional commentary. On the one hand, it was directed snarkily at the French public, who had excluded Rashid based on his political messaging and his Maghribi background. On another, it tackled the same form of cosmetic self-mutilation that Rashid had sung about in La Moda, further encouraging a conversation hitherto silenced. And, on a final note, it was a bold reminder of the forgotten lessons of history. While this album cover was clear in intention and expression, others drew from a very eclectic set of sources, ranging from the Bible to Bollywood. Considering that this is yet another avenue of expression for Rashid, I asked him to reflect upon this album cover as well as some of the others that he'd produced. Cover, firstly, derives from the word to cover. We get covered from everything. When we're cold, we get covered. When we're hot, we get covered. To seek shelter from insects, from anything. A cover is cinematic. The first thing that people want to see is an image. Growing up, the cinema always had a cover. In a way, the cover is a form of propaganda. In Bollywood movies specifically, there was always a cover that knew how to attract the public. And I sought to make covers that attracted the public and their spirits. The first thing needed to attract others is a beautiful photo. It's propaganda. The cover is why we created photographers. Photographers wouldn't exist without covers, just like models without covers are nothing. Recall Hitler and the Nazis. Remember, their cover existed to cover themselves while attracting people. Even the Quran has a cover. So does the Bible. Even Playboy magazine has a cover. Furthermore, even prostitutes have a cover. When they're on the sidewalk, how they dress is their cover. In music, one covers oneself and at the same time discovers oneself. Because an artist is at the same time a prostitute, an intellectual, and at once a music dealer. When I made the cover of Ole Ole, it was a commentary on the Nazis. When I made the cover of Diwan 2, it was to commemorate the Algerian War. And when I made the cover of Tekitwa, it was a way to remember Jesus. So why did I use photography? Well, to speak of the Algerian War, to speak about Nazism, the problems of women, etc. Since I live in the West, every time I make a cover, it's to both attract the eye and talk about a political situation. The most beautiful cover in the world, actually, is the album of The Clash. Let's remember that, with the guitar, London Calling. Though not mentioned in Rashid's response, an image present in the liner notes of Ole Ole and the cover of the subsequent album Diwan are intimately related. Both are nearly mirror images of one another. There are photographs of Rashid taken from the side against a sky blue background wearing a purple shirt and suspended in the air, his hair standing up in free fall. In the liner notes of Ole Ole, his hair is peroxide blonde and he is facing west, his expression forlorn. On the cover of Duan, his hair is in its natural color 
and he is facing east. He has an expression of joy on his face. Indeed, the album Diwan, as well as its successor Diwan too, have a singular intention, to resurface lost gems from the great Maghribi and Arabic musical anthologies of the past. Together, they bring forth 17 unique covers, each imbued with its own significance. On the level of the discography, the listener can identify Rashid invoking three distinct identities. The Maghribi, as captured in the covers of Blawi, Huwari, and Ahmed Khalifi, the Pan-Arab in Farid al-Atrash and Umm Kalthum, and the Pan-African in Francis Bebe and beyond. This fluid fluctuation is not like the desire to self-mutilate and camouflage to appease an external gaze. Rather, it's an exploration as well as a celebration of the diversity and generative power of multiculturalism. Against the context where immigrants were pressured to shed all connections to their heritage and embrace Frenchness, Rashid showed the generative and beautiful results of a cultural reclamation. On the level of the individual songs, the listener can discern varying mixes of political, personal and social commentary embedded within each. These are made more profound when considering the new possibilities of mobility and communication that the post-colonial artist is afforded. This is especially poignant with the cover and transmission of the track Ya Menfi, O Exiled. The song is a first-hand account of exile and imprisonment that was written and composed by Akli Yahyatin in the 1950s. It's based on his own time incarcerated in French jails. The lyrics of the verses are Akli's own prison diary, chronicling his own recollections in intimate details. As opposed to the verse, the chorus comes from folk music that commemorates the revolutionaries of the 1870 rebellion who France exiled from Algeria in mass. Its lyric rings, Tell my mother not to cry, our God will not forsake us. Taha published this track on Diwan and performed it live at multiple venues all across France. He was thereby able to transport a track hitherto marginalized into the direct heart of contemporary France. He amplified the prison diaries of the generations categorically excluded and in so doing staged confrontation between the French and the brutality of their former empire. In similar fashion, the opening song of Diwan too channels a lesson from the past generation of Maghribi immigrants. It's a cover of Mohamed Mazouni's Ecoute-moi, camarade. The original was written in the 1970s to warn against the elusive allure of immigration, seductive and sickening as it is. The song takes the form of a conversation between the singer and the listener. France is replaced by a woman. Listen to me, we're told. Forget this girl, do you hear me? She'll make you sick and you'll suffer a long time. In the monologue that follows, the speaker tells us more and more that France will take advantage of us, that she'll mislead us, she'll lie, that she'll never love us, not even in a hundred years. The verses continue and with each the speaker grows more upset. 
by the end insulting the listener for even allowing themselves to be put in such a degrading scenario. But the final verse reveals all. The speaker pauses and looks around. He asks, But who is this comrade? I'm speaking all alone here. So then it's me, the comrade. That poor fool, it's me. Combien t'as pris pour un imbécile Mais toi tu trouves tout ça c'est bon Ne me dis pas non, c'est inutile Car pour moi tu es un con Je sais bien que tu l'aimes Tu as donné ton âme Je sais bien que tu l'aimes Amid the myriad covers on these two albums, one artist's work stands above the pack. Of the 17 songs, five belong to Dahman al-Harashi, making him Rashid's most covered artist. I asked Rashid to explain this affinity. Here is his response. Dahman al-Harashi, firstly, is not his name. That's what's interesting. All the Arab artists, and even before them the French artists, gave themselves names in order not to bother their families. Being in the music industry is considered something a bit cheesy. He'd be considered a loser. Dahman Harashi's actual name is Rahman Amran. And why? Dahman Harashi is a bit like the common story of all our immigration. And Yaraya was a song that spoke about this, about those who are far away from home. Dahman Harashi was a lonesome immigrant who loved alcohol and who loved life and at the same time was very religious. He spoke in a very interesting way about God. He spoke about friendship about people, and I liked his way of singing. For me, Dahman al-Harashi is the Algerian country, the oriental country. He's a bit like Jack Kerouac, that's why I like him. His texts draw me, his texts remind me of my childhood. He was elegant, he looks like Clark Gable, Gregory Peck, Omar Sharif, and he sings at the same time. Voila, I love class. Following the success of the first Diwan album, Rashid would release some of the most successful and acclaimed music of his career. In 1998, he performed live in concert with fellow Algerian musicians Fodel and Shab Khalid in front of over 20,000 attendees in Paris. The trio played a compilation of their respective works, with each musician offering themselves to build on the performance of the other's songs. From Rashid's anthology, the trio opened the concert with a rendition of Ya Manfi before performing Ya Rayah and Voila Voila. It marked a moment of profound unity and triumph as the three musicians filled the stadium in the heart of Paris with the poetry of their ancestors, the prison diaries of their elders, their folklore of immigration and their bold diagnosis of the xenophobia on the rise. The CD of the concert achieved massive success and was certified double gold in France. With his name now elevated to a higher level globally, Rashid would release two albums, Made in Medina in 2000 and Tiki Twa in 2004. Though both albums are packed to the brim with political significance, 
the track Medina on the former stands out as particularly important. The song explores the city as seen and felt by the foreigner implanted within it. The music is rapid-paced and frenzied like the commotion of the city, but Aoud and Mandolin are pensive and comforting. The melody alternates between hope and despair. The lyrics are forlorn. They tell of loneliness and misery in the first person. The speaker is lost in a city, left behind amidst waves of people rushing around purposely. He feels isolated and detached. I'm an outsider among these people. I'm an outsider in this city. He doesn't know how he's going to get by. As the song draws to a close, he loses his grip, fades into the background. He is consumed by the city. I asked Rashid to offer some insight into the thought process behind the song. I wondered to what extent it was biographical or tied to a location. I wondered why he had chosen to be so elusive in referring to the city. Listen to my words and you'll understand what I'm saying. When I say Fil Medina, it's about loneliness, melange and depression. It's a criticism of the West, but beyond, it's an ecological song. It describes what happens all the time in cities. It's a little reminder of internal immigration, because people are immigrating within, searching for a place to live. They're lost. They don't understand what's going on. They cross the street only to arrive nowhere. So it's mostly about the big cities that we build and the people from within. You have to remember that the people coming to the cities, even those coming from the countryside, are foreigners too. And they are always foreign so long as they remain inside. For a city like Paris, there can only be foreigners. A city like New York or London also. We feel completely deprived of everything. So we come to the city to work, and when we work, we become slaves of the city. So I speak of modern slavery in Medina. What happens at the end of the road? Nothing. We're slaves of the other, because at the end of the road, there's the ocean, and we are out of life, boys. Rashid's following albums would see him continue in the same tradition, blurring genre, language, time and space, to create beautiful music and transmit important messages. For my final question, I asked Rashid what his future held in store. His answer spoke volumes. Surprises. Surprises all the times. Surprising because I'm currently making an album, for example, that speaks to Europe, but that speaks to the world as well. So you're Egyptian. Are you listening to me? Pal Palestinian, Arab, like me. 
We must know that music, thanks to the Greeks and the Persians, were making music. It's the only way. We don't have the atomic bomb. We only have culture. As Mahmoud Darwish said, the dove, the dove. We, the Palestinians, or the Arabs, or the Jews, or anyone, we are all on one land. We are all strangers on this earth. But the only way to win freedom is not by making atomic bombs. It's by loving oneself, by making love. I love making love. Fuck. Oh, it's good to make love. Let's make love. I'm not going to be all hippie, but I think love matters. People who make wars, people who bomb, people who make bombs, still don't understand why a guy, an engineer, would make bombs to kill others. I would make hearts to make love. I would make beds, I would make nightclubs. But it's true, I would make nightclubs, so we dance. A guy who spends his time making machine guns, who makes bullets, is a sick guy. He has a mental illness. Honestly, a guy who only thinks about killing others, while I only think about making others live. I want to make love, make beds. I would like to only talk about sexy things. The people who make wars are not humans. Fuck you. You're an assassin. Killing others is not a job. It's being a murderer, a criminal. But me, my dream is to make beds and sheets. Rashid passed away on September 12, 2018, following a heart attack suffered while asleep at his home in Paris. He was laid to rest in Wahran, Algeria returning to the land on which he was born for one final time. He leaves behind a wife, a son, and a legacy that'll shine for generations, one of music, thought, moment, and symbol, one that this exercise has not even begun to glimpse. His posthumous album entitled Je suis Africain will be published on September 20th. Je suis Je n'ai pas le rythme de la peau Je suis africain Un albinos afro listening to Status Audio Magazine. The Status is produced by the Arab Studies Institute in partnership with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, co-sponsored by George Mason University's Middle Eastern Studies Program and the American University of Beirut's Asfari Institute for Civil Society and Citizenship. Interested in pitching an interview, a program episode, or becoming a partner, Email our associate producer, Paola Messina, at paola at statushour.com. To listen to more conversations, on-the-scene reports, and discussions, visit our website, statushour.com. 
or subscribe via iTunes and listen to us on the go. You can also friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and for more conversations, please visit statushour.com.